Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have to ask, are you there? Are you listening? I hope so, because this is the first episode of the Audiocast post-premiere of the Phantom Lake Kids in the day the Earth abruptly almost ended. Now, I will tell you, my voice is pretty shot. It's been a pretty crazy couple weeks, and I've been doing a lot of talking, and so my voice is a little weak, a little raspy, but only because I've been so excited to talk about everything happening in the Mimiverse and shooting the new movie, Annihilate All Humans, and overall just having a pretty fine week. I am late on this month's edition of the Mimiverse Monthly newsletter and audio cast, but only because I'm still basking in the glow of the wonderful event that happened last week. It's already August, and I should have been done with this before August began, but of course, I wasn't. But so what? Given how well the premiere went, I feel like I should be allowed a little space and time to take it all in and just enjoy it, right? After all the stress and worry that went into finally doing a live in-theater world premiere of a Mimiverse film again, I feel like I earned a little time off. So we're about six days past the world premiere, so I feel like I have a little bit of time and space now to truly evaluate the event. The only word I can really come up with to describe the night is wonderful. If you've listened to this audio cast, you know that I've been stressing very much about this event because we weren't able to do a live premiere in 2020 because of COVID. We weren't able to do one in 2021 because of COVID. And here we are, despite COVID, finally getting back to the Heights Theater and showing a movie to a crowd of excited people. I'd say attendance was almost exactly at half, which is what I wanted. Again, you know, I am very paranoid about COVID and I don't want people to get it. I don't want to get it. I don't want to be the reason people get it. I don't want to help it spread. The Heights has 239 seats and we sold 120 seats. I think we went over 120 a little bit because we were selling tickets at the door. And, you know, as it always happens, some people bought tickets and didn't show up. And some people bought tickets simply so we could have the event. And for those folks out there who did that, thank you very much. That was very nice of you to do. And we very much appreciate it. And of course, there were others that were local, bought tickets and just didn't get to go because they didn't show up or something came up. I always get a couple of messages and emails saying, oh, I won't be able to get there or I have an extra ticket and my date backed out, sell my other ticket. That happens. Either way, we reached half capacity, which I guess if I'm limiting it to half capacity and we hit half capacity, doesn't that mean we sold out? <laughs> I'll take it. So it was a very successful night. Everyone who came in wore masks. I was a little paranoid about, are we going to have to deal with people who are like, I don't want to wear a mask. We didn't deal with anybody. In fact, there were people who showed up and was like, oh, we have to wear masks. So what do we do? And we were like, here's a mask. We provided them for people and people wore them without complaint, which was amazing. And so I feel like looking back on the event that it was as safe as we could possibly make it. And everyone who attended was invested in making sure the event was safe and didn't turn into a super spreader. We're almost exactly a week out right now. And as far as I know, no one has tested positive for COVID, although people might have, but I don't honestly believe that if they did between last Wednesday and now, I don't think they picked it up at the premiere. So it was a success, an unbridled success. It really was. The crowd seemed definitely into it. Lots of laughs in all the right places and a couple laughs in places I wasn't expecting. But see, that's part of what I like about premieres and live screenings is to gauge audience interest and where do they laugh? What did they find funny that maybe I didn't think was funny or people laugh at things that I never intended to be funny, but they worked out funny and I just never saw it because I was too close to it. But in the end, the event was everything I could have hoped for, I think, given the last couple years and the current state of COVID in this country. And I am super happy. And I know the kids are too. It was really, really, really nice 
to finally see a Phantom Like Kids movie on the big screen in that setting with people who really, 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 really wanted to be there, who were braving COVID simply to go watch a movie and support the Mimiverse. And I don't know, I'm still kind of blown away by it. I'm still not recovered from it, if I'm being honest. In the past, we do big events, and of course, there's always that sort of post-event letdown. And honestly, this one, and I think it was because it was years of pent-up longing to do this, the high of the event, it's lasted almost a week. I didn't have a post-premiere crash, which I usually do. Anyone who does theater or anything like that can tell you exactly what this is like. You put so much time and effort into a thing, and finally the big day comes, and you do the thing, and then afterwards it's over. You have to move on, and you have this crash, because you invest so much time and energy into that thing, that event, that run of the play you're in, or the premiere, right? You finally do it, it goes really well, and you crash the next day or two afterwards where you're just sad that it's over and the glory of it is gone because you experienced it and it will never be that way again because you can only do a premiere once. After that, it's just a screening. And so normally I would have that crash and on this one I didn't and I haven't. And I think it's because I have a different perspective now. I think given the way COVID changed everything, where we weren't allowed really to do premieres, I mean, I guess we could have last year, but I, I didn't feel safe. We really weren't able to do premieres for a couple of years. I mean, it was 2019, Queen of Snakes. I got used to after, what, 14, 15 years, I got used to taking it for granted that I could and I think this is a lesson for everybody in life right now, that maybe we all should try harder to learn, given what we've all been through the last few years. You take it for granted. You take it for granted that it'll just always be there, right? And you do it, you do the thing, then you're disappointed, and, oh, it's so sad. And then you move on and you do something else. This time, I feel like the highs of it are lasting longer simply because I'm grateful to have been able to do it at all. And so there is no disappointment that it's over. It's a satisfaction with having done it. I am very, very happy that we pulled it off. And even though we never got the cool picture of people lining up outside, which was always nice, it didn't matter because A, if you were there, there was a bunch of construction on the street in front of the theater, so we really wouldn't probably have been able to do a line, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, it was, it was, it was magical. It really was. It was like being born again, but not in a religion way. It was like a reboot of everything, but better. It was like a becoming a butterfly. Just the last couple of years we've been in our chrysalis. Before that, we were just a furry caterpillar, and now we're a goddamn butterfly. <laughs> but really, it was just, it was nice to do it again. It's like it felt normal, but it didn't. It felt new, but familiar. I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say other than you should have been there. If you could have been and just didn't, you should have been there. And it would have been great if you were, but again, in the age of COVID, I, I understand. It's okay. I don't hold it against anyone. If you can't make it, you can't make it. I will say you missed out on something awesome. And again, the crowd was so into it. And I think a lot of people were just kind of feeling it, feeling the mood, feeling the fun, feeling the thrill of being back at a Mimiverse premiere. And even though it wasn't 430 people like it was for the giant spider, it didn't matter. That crowd in that theater felt twice as big as that 430 people for giant spider because everyone who was there really 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 wanted to be there and had a good time and enjoyed the movie and laughed and and cheered and so i told you last month i was going to tell you how the premiere went well that's how it went perfect exactly exactly what I wanted. And I got to see all the people I wanted to see, some of whom I haven't seen in a long time. And it was great just to be near them again and, and to be able to talk to them face to face. 
So I want to thank everybody who showed up. I want to thank everybody who bought tickets and knew they couldn't go, but bought tickets simply to make sure it happened. And I want to thank everyone who had a good time and everyone who didn't. I don't care if you had a good time or not. I did, and so that's all that matters at this point. I did my best, and I think the event speaks for itself. I hope if you were there, you had as good a time as I did, but I doubt it. I don't think anyone could have had as good a time as I did. Still, it was fantastic in every way. I had talked about the idea that maybe, based on how that event went, I was going to determine whether or not I was going to continue doing them. Like, were they worth doing? If they all even go half as good as this one, I guess I'll just keep doing them. It works out because just yesterday I was shooting a scene from the movie I'm working on now, Annihilate All Humans. So next year we should be able to have another world premiere of the next Mimiverse film. And, and honestly, I think I really needed this. I think I really did. And I think, I, I think I got some perspective on what has been troubling me since COVID began outside of the disease and death and all the horrible things. Not being able to do a premiere, not being able to show the movie and celebrate it like we did has been really difficult for me because that energy of that event celebrating the work that I've put into this thing and everyone has put into these things year after year was the payoff. Everything else after that was gravy, right? Doing events, doing premieres and watching people watch the movie and laughing and having a good time like we did and just the energy in that room was everything I needed to say, yes, this is worth it to me. Because it's not about how much money I make. It's not about continuing to make movies for the sake of just making movies for my own ego or whatever. It was about the moments of collective celebration. I always talk about collective experiences and communities and all that. And the premieres are the personification of that community. I, not personification because it's not a person, but it's the culmination of everything. We all come together. We're all fans and friends and family and we're like hey here's the thing we like and we're gonna enjoy it together we're gonna laugh cheer every time we see the stupid flashlight thing you know all these things and without them the last couple years a lot of it has felt anticlimactic in detrimental ways at least to me because i need that it's weird to say i need the climax <laughs> but it's i need i need closure and sometimes in life you don't get it. I get that. But I need that closure on that project to know that I can move on to something different or something new. Because without it, you're sort of left hanging. And that's the worst feeling is being left hanging. You need to finish it. And that's the big finish of those premieres. And without the big finish, it's all lead up and no payoff. And that's what's been very, very difficult for me the last couple of years. Plus, obviously, all the stuff going on with the change of, you know, what is normal and what's not and, and what you can and cannot do and, and how you do things. And obviously, we have moved into a new normal, but it's really nice to know that we get a little bit of new normal that feels like the old normal. And so I'm really happy that we ended up doing the event and I'm really happy that people encouraged me to do it and made it possible for us to do it. It was absolutely worth it. And I'm so happy that we did it. And so The Phantom Like Kids in the Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended is out now. You can purchase it on DVD or Blu-ray. You can now watch it on Vimeo so you can watch it online. And I'm going to be trying to set up some other screenings of it here and there as we go. But right now, I don't have much set in stone as far as that. But as soon as I know more, I'll let you know. But I think you should absolutely see it if you like my movies. And if you've seen all the other ones, why would you not see the new one? Order a copy. And I should say there's a really sweet deal right now in the August 2022 Mimiverse monthly newsletter where you can get the entire Phantom Lake Kids saga for a discounted rate where you save some money. You either get four DVDs of the three Phantom Lake Kids movies plus the holiday special or four Blu-rays, which is the three Phantom Lake Kids movies plus the holiday special. But here's the thing about those Blu-rays. The Blu-ray of the Phantom Lake Kids in the day the earth abruptly almost ended also includes 
Terror from Beneath the Earth, which is the first movie Danny Johnson appeared in and ties in to the new movie. I'll just say that. But also with the holiday special Blu-ray, you get a copy of Danny Johnson Saves the World on it as well. So you get the entire Phantom Like Kids saga on those four Blu-rays. It's a hell of a deal, but you can only get it right now by going to that August 2022 newsletter. So you should do that if you don't own them all or if you have any interest in owning them all. If you uh, do that, you might end up with some extra signatures if you want them signed. And by extra signatures, I mean the fan of my kids live with me, so maybe you'll get them signed by everybody. I don't know. It's possible. Here's another thing I've been sitting on for like a year. When we started shooting the new Phantom Like Kids movie, the one that just came out, I took these cool retro photos of the cast that look kind of old school, sepia-toned, like old film kind of things. And I had posted them on Instagram as I took them. But I also had them printed out on really nice 4 by 6 postcards. And the cast signed them all been sitting on those forever. Now, if you got the Mimiverse 2021 mystery box, you got a set of them, but I finally am selling them to the general public. And those are available in the August 2022 Mimiverse monthly newsletter. They're very high quality and they're limited edition. So once we run out, they're gone forever, but they're really cool and they're really nice. And like I said, they're each hand signed. It wasn't like a stamp. The kids all got together and they went through all of them and signed them and they're available now. But I was sitting on them, holding on to them until the premiere of this damn movie. And finally we had it. Other than that, I'm just excited that the new movie is out and I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe seeing a few reviews. I'm really looking forward to hearing what people think when they do a marathon of the family kids movies. And I'll tell you right now, here's how you watch them. If you're going to do the full saga, you start with Terror from Beneath the Earth, then you do Danny Johnson Saves the World, then Beast Walks Among Us, then Unseen Invasion, then the Holiday Special, then The Phantom Like Kids and The Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended. It'd take you about seven or eight hours. So if there's a really hot day and you're just stuck inside in the air conditioning because it's you know dangerously hot outside, which, welcome to the 21st century, do it. Do a marathon. Make popcorn. Enjoy order food in, whatever. Let me know how it goes. Let me know what your favorite is. Let me know if it's a coherent enough story. Cause I, I think it is, but I'm a little close to it. I can't be that objective. I can't be unbiased. In other news, and I mentioned it just a little bit, we are working on the next Mimiverse movie, Annihilate All Humans, my flying saucer epic. And we're slowly filming that one. It's a little more challenging to film that one, given a few of the schedules. But I think I mentioned this before. The way the script is built, the way we're filming it is just fine. Because a lot of it is special effects, and, and we're waiting on some stuff from Mitch Gonzalez to get uh, some, some alien designs to us so we can film a bunch of things inside. I mean, it's just... It's a little all over the place, and I have plenty to do. And I'm really happy now that the last movie is officially out because I can finally focus on this new movie. I realized the hard way that I have difficulty focusing on more than one project at a time. And I seem to keep doing two projects at once, but that overlap period is a little weird. It's been crazy getting everything together, finishing the last movie and getting it out while preparing the new one and trying to film it and edit it and all these things. And so I'm finally at the point, happily, where I can just focus on Annihilate All Humans. And of course, as soon as I'm free to do that, I immediately start thinking about, hmm, what should I do next? <laughs> And I have an idea, and it's an idea you've heard before, but I think maybe now the time is right. But we're not worrying about that right now. We are not worrying about that right now at all. Damn it. We are going to finish this movie first, or at least get farther along in the process before I start thinking about any of that. But still, that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that Annihilate All Humans is in production right now. We're filming it. It's coming together. You should contribute to it by going to SaintEuphoria.com and finding Annihilate All Humans and contribute. Get your name in the credits. It's contributors like you that make this whole thing possible. So if you got 20 bucks to spare and you want to make sure this movie gets made, that's all it takes. Let's make this happen. That's what's happening in the Mimiverse. Pick up a copy of the new movie. Contribute to Annihilate All Humans. 
Keep supporting the Mimiverse any way you can, and I will keep it alive because it's worth it to me, and I hope it's worth it to you. And if you were at the premiere, I think you know what I mean when I say it's worth it. It was awesome. Thank you again to everyone who came and to everyone who made it possible. I cannot thank you guys enough, and I keep doing it because I want you to know I am grateful in so many ways that all this is real and happened and happens and continues to happen. It's a beautiful thing, and I'm happy you are a part of it. I think that's the perfect segue to get into this month's An Oral History of the Mimiverse. So last month on An Oral History of the Mimiverse, I talked about Esperanto and how that came in with Moon Zombies. And sort of funny little side notes before I get into what we'll talk about this month. I got a call from Daniel Shervin. You guys know Dan Shervin from the movies. He called me and said he'd started listening to the oral history of the Mimiverse when he drives around for work. He said he started listening to it and got into the history and was saying how some of those things that I was talking about, he totally forgot happened. Because he was around the Braun Media days and he came in during Cave Women on Mars, I think at some point I'm going to try and interview the guy and get a few of his stories because he was throwing some at me that I even forgot to mention, but he tells them better than I do, so I would prefer that he tell the story as opposed to me telling a secondhand story. So at some point I'm going to talk to him and interview him on this to get some of his words on the record. The other thing, I was talking to my kids about the story I was telling last month about how we were trying to get out the door after finally finishing Moon Zombies to get to that convention in Nebraska and how Elliot threw a snap bracelet at his little brother's head and cut it and he needed stitches and the whole thing. And Elliot heard me talking about it and he said, oh yeah, I remember that. And because I was so little, I remember specifically when we went in to get him stitches because he was bleeding so badly, I was worried, because I was little and I didn't understand, I was worried that he would run out of blood. <laughs> like little kid logic, that he was bleeding so badly that basically his little brother Dan would bleed out because they wouldn't have gotten it fixed in time. He was basically going to run out of blood. That's what he said. He was so worried and thought he'd basically killed his little brother by throwing a snap bracelet at his head because it was bleeding so badly. Little kid logic, right? He was so scared and worried about his brother. You know, it was an accident. He did not maliciously or intentionally try to cut his brother's head. It just, the way he threw it at him, because Dan wanted to see it. He was trying to give it to him. He sort of threw it at him and the way it was, and it was a little covering was ripped and it just, it got him just right. This was 2011 and Elliot was like, eight years old and so he was just a little kid and he had no idea and he was just scared and the way he told it was was funny and cute and and also probably pretty traumatizing who knows oh and one more story about the attack of the moon zombie era when we finished the movie we decided to do a cast party we haven't always done cast parties it's been hit or miss on the cast parties and and i think that was one of the last ones we really did but sid corpy agreed to host it at her house the same house we shot house of ghosts in and i was all set to go but the day it happened i started getting kind of sick i guess the night before i started feeling not so great and i woke up that day feeling really crappy and i had a high fever and i just i felt awful and i was like i can't go to this cast party i'm sorry i just don't feel well so i didn't go a lot of people went and they had a good time and even josh craig showed up i didn't get to go that doesn't seem particularly relevant to anything but we were just discussing my son's head bleeding like crazy and so this is sort of another story along those lines apparently bleeding and moon zombies are a thing so that night i was really quite sick and like i said i had kind of a fever all day i was just kind of laying on the couch that night it was probably about two in the morning and I'd been sleeping on and off all day and I was awake at that point just watching TV while everyone was in bed and I started feeling little moisture under my nose and I felt it and I'm like, oh, I have a nosebleed. Great. So I got up and when I stood up, suddenly my nose started gushing blood. And I don't mean just like a normal heavy nosebleed. I mean like it literally starts pouring out of one of my nostrils. 
And I'm like, what the hell is happening to me? So I kind of stumble into the bathroom. I look in the mirror and blood is streaming out of both nostrils. And I was like, oh, this is a really bad nosebleed. So I grabbed some toilet paper and I put it on my nose and I squeezed the nostrils together and tipped my head back. And my mouth was kind of closed. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, and suddenly my mouth fills up with blood. I'm right in front of the mirror and I look in the mirror and I open my mouth and blood comes gushing out of my mouth. And I was like, what is happening to me? I am dying. And it's just streaming out of my face. I started to panic a little bit and I'm like, I think I should probably wake up my wife because I need to go to the emergency room. Now, if you've listened to my podcast at all, you know I'm not one for medical stuff. So if I want to go to the emergency room, it's an emergency pile on top of an emergency. It's a big deal. And I'm thinking my whole face is bleeding. I think I'm having an aneurysm or something and I'm dying. And just as I think I should probably get my wife and go in, it stops. I was kind of shook because it looked like a damn horror movie. There's blood everywhere. It's all down my nose and mouth and chin and all over my clothes. And I was like, what in the hell just happened? I was cleaning up and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to live. I'm cleaning up the toilet and the sink and everything. And I'm feeling something in my nose or something. And I'm like, what the hell? And so I cleaned out my nose and... A bunch of dark gunk came out, and I'm like, you know what? I thought I had the flu. I had a sinus infection, a really, really nasty one that basically burst. Pretty much after that, after I cleaned everything up and finished bleeding uncontrollably, I went back and I laid on the couch, and the next day I was fine. The fever was gone, and I felt great. To this day, I still have no idea exactly what that was, but it was disgusting and probably the most disturbing thing that's happened to me randomly in the middle of the night. So I don't know what that was, but I survived. And because of it, I missed the Attack of the Moon Zombies cast party. Anyway, so I just want to share that. And again, like I said, I'm going to talk to Dan Shervin at some point and, and interview him for this section so that we get a few stories from back then. And I think I'm going to try and do that a little bit. I want to talk to people about their memories specifically just to add to the context and perspectives on the history of these movies. This month, we pick up where we left off, which was right at the release of Moon Zombies. And there wasn't anything overly exciting to report about the premiere of Moon Zombies. We had a premiere. It went really well. Immediately, I had decided that the next movie was going to be House of Ghosts. That said... I had realized that after making six movies in standard definition with my old Panasonic DVX-100, I needed to upgrade to HD. So I researched what would be the logical upgrade from that camera to the HD version of my Panasonic camera, and I settled on the HMC-150. Which, if you're an indie film nerd, it's a decent camera, and it looks pretty good. And in fact, I have shot every movie since House of Ghosts on it. So the reason my movies look the way they do is because of that camera. So I decided to buy that camera and keep going forward and upgrade HD, which was kind of a big deal at the time, especially since I had no real intentions of releasing Blu-rays at that time. But everything was going HD, and I wanted to stay up with the times. I have since fallen behind the times because I haven't upgraded, but mostly because I'm still just doing Blu-rays, which is HD. And honestly, they look good enough on today's 4K TVs that I really just don't have the money to spend on getting a new camera. And so I'm still using it, and I'm trying to get all my money's worth. So that summer, before we started shooting House of Ghosts, I went out and bought a brand new HMC 150 HD camera, which I really like. And again, it's basically just the HD upgrade from the same camera I was using before. Now, I decided to make House of Ghosts partially because... I talked about the time I dragged Dan Shervin with me to Sid Corpy's house because I didn't know these people and they're like, come to my house. And of course it all turned out okay. Part of the reason why Sid and Anthony were showing us around the house is because they're like, you can shoot movies here. You should shoot here. We would love to have this house in a movie. And Sid and Anthony, to a lesser extent, had gotten involved in the movies. You know, Sid appeared as Administrator Ripley in Moon Zombies and did a fantastic job. And so 
when they said you can shoot at my house, I was like, okay, I'm going to shoot at your house if you're serious. Like, we're serious. You should shoot a movie here. Now, a lot of times I will write scripts based on places I know I have access to. Part of the reason why so much of the first, like, five, six movies take place outside in the woods is because I knew I had access to that area. Why, like, Moon Zombies takes place all on sets is because I knew I had somewhere I could build them. Knowing now that I had access to this cool, old, big house, I was like, you know, now's my chance to make a William Castle-type movie. And I think at the time I was just watching a bunch of William Castle movies. I was like, this is it. This is my chance to do like a haunted house, spooky, William Castle-esque kind of film because I have access to this house. And they were like, yes, please, please come shoot here. And so I started writing House of Ghosts and knew that I was going to give roles to Anthony and Sid and the people at the time I really, really liked working with. I say at the time, like, I don't like working with them now, but no, I mean, just at that time, they were sort of the core group, right? You had Mike Cook, who's still part of the core group. I guess a lot of these people still are, you know, my wife, Stephanie, you have Jim Norgard, Catherine Hansen, who I need to get back in a movie, Sid and Anthony and, and Justin Overlander, and this new guy, Mark Scanlon, who pulled a Jim Norgard, shall we say, and approached me at the Moon Zombies premiere and said, hey, I want to be in one of your movies. Here's my resume. That's what Jim did at the Destination Outer Space one, and he's been involved ever since. So I wrote this script and put it together, and Mitch started working on his angel of death and his mother creature and all these things, and suddenly we're like, all right, let's shoot this movie. And so I mapped out the whole movie as to what room things would be in and where things would go, and I worked very closely with Sid and Anthony, and Sid and Anthony really dressed up their house in different rooms based on where we were shooting, and we were ready to go. And I should say that at the same time, because of Attack of the Moon Zombies, I did an event in Fargo, which I did several years and haven't for a long time. And I don't know why, I just haven't, called ValleyCon. And at the 2011 ValleyCon, a whole group of Mimiverse people went up there to help me work my table. I was a guest and we were showing Moon Zombies and like a bunch of people went up there. Sid and Mark and Ruby and, and Michael Kaiser and Mitch Gonzalez. And it was just, it was a big group of people up there that year. This is the thing. This is the beginning of what I called the blockbuster era, right? Where everything was kind of bigger than life and crazy and people were always around and I felt like Elvis, right? <laughs> I always seemed to have an entourage and I felt like the hot young new thing and suddenly like I was catching fire. And, and Moon Zombies was really the beginning of that where people were starting to see value in what it is I was doing and they wanted to get involved. They wanted to be part of the scene. They wanted to be part of the Mimiverse. And we were collecting people to be part of the entourage. And that's what it felt like. We had this, this group of people that were sort of always there front and center. It was awesome. Like I said, Mark and Ruby were really helping out with all the sets and stuff when it came to Moon Zombies and they were in the movie and Mitch and Sid and Anthony. And there was this group of people that were sort of always around and somewhat associated with the Mimiverse. I didn't mind. I liked having people around. I liked having people excited about what we were doing. If there's one thing that has dissipated over the years, it's that excitement level others seem to feel. <laughs> at least as far as their involvement is concerned. And I think a lot of that just has to do with time. People have patience for only so much and eventually they move on and I just haven't really replaced them. And I think that's more on me than anything else because I guess I have replaced them, but I just replaced them with my own kids. Back then the kids were little. 2011, David, who you guys know as Butch, was a year old. And Alice was three and Dan was four and Elliot was eight. And so it was like, I had a bunch of other random adults around me who are helping. And now that the kids are all, you know, Elliot is 20 and, and Dan's 16. I mean, now they're around and they're helping. And they basically replaced the old guard with the young guard, the new guard. Anyway, so we go up to this event in Fargo Valley Con to show Moon Zombies. And at this event, we meet a guy named Ryan Fox. Ryan Fox is probably one of the absolute nicest people I've ever met. And he's generous to a fault. And he's awesome. I mean, I just, I love the guy. We meet him up there and he instantly became 
into the Mimiverse. Like he really, really liked it. He became a very fast part of it. He became a big contributor to the point that he ended up becoming an associate producer. That just means you throw a certain amount of money at the Mimiverse and you get a new title. But one of the things he did is he ended up giving us money to buy lights, like actual nice theater-type lights. And Ruby Gallinati, at the time, our, our lighting person, worked for a company that gave us access to high-quality theater equipment. And I just left it up to her and because she, she's like, I have this idea, we can take this money and we can put it toward this and end up with some really nice, high-quality lights. And if we're doing this sort of haunted house movie, you want really good, creepy, shadowy lighting. And I'm like, yes, I do. Make it happen. And it was because of Ryan Fox and his contribution to things that we were able to do this. And so Ruby went off and bought six lights and that was a big deal because again, it was a step up in quality. It was a step up in our ability to make high quality, really cool looking movies. And it was because Ryan Fox showed up and became part of the team. And I should say at this time too, I talk about how it was bustling with people and we were just surrounded by people involved. This is about the same time as well that Mark and Ruby, well, Mark really approached me and said, I have this idea for a podcast around the Mimiverse. Because before this, we would always hang out with people in the summers here in Minnesota when it's nice out and, and you do backyard bonfires, right? Little fire pits and throw some logs in the pit and light them up and you sit around and you, you drink and talk. I don't actually drink, but that's what people generally do. I don't drink. I have been sober for 29 years. Still, other people do it and I don't judge. But, you know, you just sit around and you socialize around the backyard bonfire because the nights here are gorgeous in the summer and comfortable as long as the mosquitoes aren't too bad, which they usually are. Anyway, that was something we always did, especially with Mark and Ruby. And Mark approaches me and says, hey, I have this idea. What do you think about doing a Mimiverse themed podcast where we invite people to hang out around a bonfire and talk about the movies? And I was like, I'm in. Let's do it. He's like, all right. And he went off and he spent $666 on podcast recording equipment. And I remember that because he thought it was cool because Mark's a metal guy. So he thought it was cool because, you know, number of the beast. We started recording the Mimiverse bonfire podcast right around the release of Attack of the Moon Zombies. And our first guest was Sid Corpy. So things were really exciting. Like I said, I felt like Elvis being surrounded by all these cool people who just wanted to be part of things. And I admittedly enjoyed being surrounded by people who wanted to be part of something I was doing. That went to my head a little bit, especially after the collapse of Braun Media and Shadow Creek Studios really made me feel like I was losing a lot and like everything was falling apart. There have been several times throughout the history of the Mimiverse where I've had lows where I'm like, everything's falling apart. After Cave Women on Mars, everything felt like it was falling apart. And then I did Terror from Beneath the Earth and suddenly, wait, I have fans. And now here we're leading into House of Ghosts, which is really when the Mimiverse started to feel big. It just felt like it didn't matter what we did. We were going to do it right. And everyone was along for the ride, right? It felt like we were rock stars everywhere we went and whatever we did. And we were selling out premieres and it just seemed like everybody wanted a piece of it. Everyone wanted to be involved because I saw this thing and like, this is cool. I need to be part of this thing. And it went to my head. I'll admit it. I loved every second of that. My head was too big to fit through a door. I mean, I just, my ego was, was out of control. And it's not like I became a full-on tyrant who expected nothing but brown M&Ms or whatever. It's just that it was really cool to have so many people who all seemed really, really into this thing and they really wanted to be a part of it. Of course, there's an ugly undercurrent to some of this too, that when you have these kinds of things, everyone has ambitions, everyone has their ideas of how they think things should go. But that wasn't apparent yet, at least not to me. Now, I will say this, it was always apparent to my wife. Woman's got some intuition. She knows what's up. She knows how to read things. She knows how to read people. She was very on guard about all the things happening. And she could see me getting a little lost in the glitz and glamour of it all. And she knew exactly what was good and what was bad. And I couldn't see it. 
Now, we're not there yet, but she saw it years before anything happened. Not that anything terrible happened, but eventually anything that expands that quickly and that big eventually will pop, right? Any bubble, because that's what it was. It was a bubble. Any bubble that expands, as soon as it gets too big, it deflates. But we're not there yet. We are at House of Ghosts. We've got Ryan Fox. We got this script. We got our cast and crew ready to go, and we start shooting it. Admittedly, it went pretty well, but... And I won't name names, but some of the cast members were not having as much fun as other cast members because they were annoyed by certain other cast members. I won't name names, but there was some tension behind the scenes with some of the cast members. And the thing is, is we're all Midwesterners, and so none of it ever bubbled up to the point that there were like fights or like uncomfortable days or anything, but several cast members took me aside and said, hey, this person is annoying me. This person's getting under my skin. And I would just have to listen and be like, I'm sorry about that. We're close to being done. You know, I was just doing everything I could just to make sure we got the movie done. And everyone was committed to that goal, but there was some underlying tension. I think it Maybe it worked for the movie a little bit in that the whole premise of that movie is a bunch of people stuck in a house together being haunted by these visions. And there was some of that going on in the actual production where people kind of felt a little trapped in that damn house because we couldn't go anywhere else. And the same people were always around. And it's like working in any office where it's like eventually people start to bother you and you learn who to avoid and who to talk to and it got a little tense at times but to the credit of all the people involved it never spilled over into the actual production but more than one cast member did pull me aside and say hey i'm being annoyed (laughs) something's bothering me and i had to handle it there are certain things i couldn't do because i didn't want to jeopardize the ability to finish the movie And I was very singularly focused on that. So it was like, I just kind of had to, like I said, listen and let them vent. And a lot of times that was enough. I got it because those same things were annoying me too. But what can you do? We're on this path and we got to get it done. And we did. We did eventually. There was one actor in particular, though, that I don't feel like I meshed with very well. The issue I had with this person was their seeming inability to memorize their lines. Now, I had talked to other filmmakers around town about this actor and their inability to memorize lines, and apparently it was something that they're kind of known for. We were constantly struggling with this person being prepared, having their lines down and ready to go, to the point that there was a day that was a nice big long shoot And because they didn't have their lines done or ready to go or memorized, I don't know why, they just didn't, we had to shoot around this person and come back another day just to give this person an extra day to hopefully memorize their lines and shoot their close-ups and all their stuff a different day. So we added an entirely new shoot day simply because this person didn't memorize their lines which is the end of my wanting to work with this person. And that's the thing is like, sometimes you can work around it. Often you can work around it. You can put scripts off screen. You can have people feed the lines to you or whatever. This person refused to do any of those things. They were just convinced they'd get them and they just never did. And it kind of felt like they just didn't care, at least to me, that they just didn't want to put in the time. But also being weirdly unwilling to do any kind of tricks or whatever to make it work was painful to me and annoying. It felt unserious. And it's not that I'm over serious, but we're trying to make a movie here. Okay. We're trying to make something happen. Everyone here is committed to this. They've memorized their lines. They put in the time, they put in the effort. We're here. We don't want to be here forever. We don't want to keep adding days to our shoot schedule simply because you can't be bothered. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it felt not personal. It just felt like they just didn't care. And maybe they didn't. Or maybe they couldn't. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I couldn't answer the reason why. And the thing is, is that the person is a good actor. 
I was able to edit together a decent performance out of all the chunks of flubbed lines and line, line. You know, when you mess up and you forget your line, you say line and the guy in the script will give you your line so you can do it again. I don't think I've ever had so many takes ruined by line by any one actor than that person. And it was, uh, it was painful. It wrecked the flow of the process and I don't want to say it felt disrespectful because I don't, I don't know if it was like malicious or just like a, a lack of taking it seriously or I don't know, overconfidence and thinking that, you know, glancing at them once or twice would be enough. I really don't know. Cause I don't know the details of what this person did to try to memorize their lines or if they just, I don't know. I really don't. That got under my skin and basically wrecked this person's ability to be in future films. That and another incident, but I'll tell you that soon enough. We'll get to that story. But that was one of the big things. And I probably would have considered working with this person again, knowing that the line memorization thing was an issue by giving them fewer lines or a smaller role or whatever. But they eventually shot themselves in the foot. But again, we're not there yet. So we finally shot House of Ghosts. We got through it, despite some of the challenges of working with certain people and the strain of everyone being in confined quarters for too long. We got through it. Although, toward the end, I started annoying people. <laughs> and when I say people, I mean Sid and Anthony. I think the shoot ended up dragging on longer than we hoped it would. I probably overstayed my welcome a little bit because we had hoped to be done shooting it before Christmas and we didn't get that done. Partially because sometimes you're at the mercy of people's schedules or you have to reschedule or you have to add days because certain actors don't have their lines down. And so things get pushed. But here's the thing that I found kind of weird is that I started annoying Sid and Anthony because we were still there. And maybe annoy is not the right word, but there were a few comments made about how they weren't able to put up their Christmas decorations because we were still there shooting this dang movie. Which made me feel bad because the one thing I don't want to be is a burden on other people's lives while I try to make these movies. But at the same time, part of me was miffed because it's like, well, you volunteered your house. <laughs> You've been on my movie sets before. You know how long moon zombies took. You know how long these things take and how things have to move and, and nothing is ever set in stone until you're done. And you know how this has been going. I'm still shooting in your house, but you volunteered your house. And this has happened more than once where people get annoyed that it's like, well, you're in my house and you're still here and it's not done. And it's like, well, it's because it takes as long as it takes. I don't want to sound callous about it, but it's the way it is. You know, making these movies takes as long as it takes. And I'm working as fast as I possibly can. I'm not maliciously trying to just hang out at your house. <laughs> it's like, no, I need to get this done. Everyone involved in making these movies knows how long it takes or at least should have an idea of how long these things take. So you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes, you know what? You don't get to decorate for Christmas. <laughs> when we made Danny Johnson Saves the World, we were shooting it around that time. And we ended up just using the Christmas tree in the movie as our Christmas tree because we couldn't put up our Christmas tree because we were shooting a movie. And we needed that space to look like where grandpa was telling the stories. So we just used the set literally as our Christmas tree that year. You just make it work, right? You make adjustments. And as, as much as it sucks sometimes to have to change things up, it's just how it works. So I guess I'm saying if you are a person who has a cool space and you ever want a filmmaker to use it to make a movie, realize you're in for the long haul. And sometimes you may have to make some sacrifices to allow the filmmaker to finish their work. It's not personal. It just takes that long. And you just have to let it happen. And sometimes you may not be able to put up your Christmas decorations. That's how it goes. And I don't know in retrospect if part of what I was feeling some sort of anger about being there so long and, and people making comments about how they didn't get to put up their Christmas decorations because I was there. I get it. That sucks that you don't get to do this thing. And maybe because at the time we were getting toward the end of that shoot and we were all getting, we we're getting annoyed with each other. It, it happens. You, you run out of steam for it. I mean, I know even making the movies with the kids toward the end, they're kind of done. You get to a point where you're like, are we still doing this thing? My daughter, Alice, you guys know as Evelyn, she never gets sick of it. 
Caleb never gets sick of it. But the other kids, they get a little sick of it toward the end. We're like, oh, are we still doing this? Alice is kind of a machine. She's like, nope, we're still doing this till it's done. That's why I think if anyone's going to take over the Mimiverse, it's going to be her. Or maybe David. I don't know. She'll be involved in some way. Anyway, so I was annoying people by being in their house. And I was getting annoyed that I was annoying people. And again, I don't know if annoy is the right word, but I'm just using it as a way to describe how it felt from my perspective. Like I said, I was getting annoyed that they were annoyed because it's like, this is how long it takes to make a movie. You know this. Why is this a problem? I also didn't want to get all huffy and puffy about it because it's their house and I am imposing on them. But the flip side is you volunteered your house and you know how long this takes. So what's the problem? I mean, we're almost done. We just got to get done. And, and if they would have said can we take a break over the Christmas season so I can decorate and then afterwards we'll come back to it? I would have said yes. I would have been fine with that because it was holiday time and people are busy and I'm okay if we need to change things up and move things around. I'm okay with that. But we were so close to done, I think they didn't want to do that because we're almost done. Anyway, who cares, right? In the end, I think the movie worked out. It really did work out. I've seen it many, many times that we've done a lot of live screenings of it and it definitely works. And the live show we did along with it, and I'll talk more about that next month, but the whole live element we added to it to make it more William Castley works and we've refined it over the years to make it even better. So we shot the movie and it worked out. And toward the end, I was annoying Sid and Anthony by constantly being in their house and everyone else was annoying everyone else. And certain people in the cast were bugging me and it just, it became, it was a little tense toward the end, but we finished it and it felt good. That's where I'm going to stop. But before I do stop, I have a few cool little stories about this time. First, while we were making House of Ghosts, one of the local papers, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, caught wind of our production and wanted to send a reporter down just to do a little story about the movies and the movie we're making and, and the Mimiverse. And again, this really did add to that air of being rock stars. Oh my God, the paper wants to do a story about us. So they sent a reporter down on the night we were shooting the scene where they discover Steph's dead body. And Jim says the now ubiquitous line, his catchphrase, dear God, no. Porter came down and talked to people and asked questions and took pictures and, and all this stuff. And here's where it gets cool. When the story ran, it was front page news. We made the front page of the local paper, which was something. I mean, to us, that was like, holy crap, we made the front page, which is a big deal, right? We were front page news. Again, adding to that feeling of, holy crap, we are rock stars. It was so cool. Like, just to be able to be front page news. That I actually got the story professionally mounted. Like, you can do this if there's like a story. You see this usually in restaurants or like the local curling club over here. There'll be a story in like a newspaper. And there's these companies that will professionally mount it on a, I want to say board, but it's not a board. Professionally mount it so you can put it on your wall. And it keeps. And so I got that actually done. But funny thing is, is I ordered it. And they put a little plaque on there with the name of the story. And the first time I got it, <laughs> the first time I got it back from them, the name of the story was just House of Ghosts. When I got it back from them, the plaque said House of Ghost, singular. To the credit of the company I used, which I can't remember what it was, which I don't even know if they're still around, they replaced it for free. And I ended up giving the spare one to Sid, who then eventually gave it to someone else. The other thing was I wrote this script where these people are trapped in a house due to a blizzard right? Something I figured we would get some sort of example of in Minnesota in winter so that I could get a shot of the house with snow falling and everything. And that year, inexplicably, we had what's called a snow drought. It never snowed more than an inch or two. There were like three days the entire winter where it snowed. We never had a blizzard. We never had a heavy snowfall. And so most of the year there was no snow on the ground and it was never falling. The one time I wrote into a script, I need snow, I need a blizzard, we didn't get one. <laughs> so either I'm magic and the universe is like, hi, you need snow, screw you, <laughs> or just bad luck. And I ended up having to do special effects and Photoshop to make it snow in a movie filmed in Minnesota in the winter. So that's fun. Lastly, the story that it's ridiculous, but I mentioned earlier 
that I bought a new camera specifically to shoot movies in HD. The first day we're shooting with this camera, we're in the basement shooting the scene up the stairs of Jim Norgard coming in and coming downstairs. So I'm at the bottom of the basement stairs, just a hard concrete floor. I remember being like, all right, it's the beginning of the HD era of the Mimiverse. We're shooting this movie and action. And so we do the first take. And after I yell cut, someone gets caught on like the microphone cord and pulls the camera onto the ground. It literally falls over. First take, my new camera slams hard from about six feet onto a concrete floor. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. I just spent so much money on this camera. Did we just break it? First take after I'm like, yay, it's the HD era to Panasonic's credit. I picked that thing up. It's worked perfectly ever since. Never messed it up at all, except the little viewfinder kind of popped open a little bit on the seam. I just had to pop it back in. Panasonic cameras are amazingly well constructed. I highly recommend them. If you're a filmmaker and you're wondering what brand of camera to buy, Panasonic. They don't f around. I highly recommend it. Anyway, that was the beginning of House of Ghosts. And we got through it. And everyone was annoyed with everyone by the end of it. But we got through it. And I'm going to end it right there. Next month, we'll talk about the release. And we'll talk about the biggest movie yet. The Giant Spider. This has been an oral history of the Mimiverse. Stephen D. Sullivan and St. Euphoria present... Atomic Tales! Stories of science, mystery, and excitement. This episode features the latest installment in our fantastic original series, Strange Invaders. Tonight, Dr. Shannon Z. Tarragon leads a team of intrepid agents into the swamp of New Jersey in search of a monster in... Jersey Devil. Join us now as we present another in our continuing series of Atomic Tales. Exactly who is this poking around our agency Studebaker, Agent One? The look Dr. Shannon Tarragon gave me as we left the Pine Barrens Ranger Station held both curiosity and concern. Tammy Rubens, I replied. She's a reporter I've run into before. When? As usual, Agent Five's question came out a little more than a rumbling whisper. But the agency hadn't hired Nelson Deadeye Corrigan for his melodic voice. That bee incident in Colorado. And again before the giant leech attack in Devil's Foot, Utah. Suspicious, don't you think, Ray? Doc Tarragon arched an eyebrow at me. I shrugged. She's a reporter. I'll find out what's up. Miss Rubens was already making a beeline to intercept us. I met her halfway. Agent Ray. She cooed. Nice to see you again. What are you doing here? The usual, investigating local livestock problems. She scrutinized the rest of our party. Care to introduce me? Sure. This is Agent Nelson, and accompanying us is Specialist Shannon. We exchanged handshakes. Specialist in what? Miss Rubens asked. Science. Doc replied slyly. Can you specialize in that? You'd be surprised. Doc's dad had founded the USSB, and she was every bit as sharp. What are the motorcycles for? The reporter asked, pointing to the trio of dirt bikes hitched behind our Studebaker. We're saving ourselves both time and a hike. I decided to change the subject. Jersey is far afield for the Denver Examiner, isn't it? The reporter gave a sheepish grin. What can I say? The UFO stories I turned in were a hit, so the boss sent me to look into the Jersey Devil. Five fixed her with a steely gaze. Find anything? Nope. So, back on the road for another snipe hunt. Unless you've got some inside info you'd like to share. I shook my head. Sorry, we just got here. She stepped in close and took my hand. You'll tell me if you turn up a monster, won't you, Ray? Her body felt warm and enticing. I fought down a blush. You bet. And who do you work for again? The U.S. Science Bureau. Doc put in. She stepped between the reporter and me as I edged back. You can contact our office in Washington if you need more information. Tammy Rubin's brown eyes sparkled. I will. See you around, Agent Ray. Maybe, Miss Rubens. 
She called back to me over her shoulder as she sashayed across the parking lot toward her blue Chevy Bel Air. I told you before, Ray. It's Tammy. Doc chuckled once the reporter passed out of earshot. I think Tammy's got a crush on you, Ray. Yeah? Well, the feeling's not mutual. Let's get our gear and mount up. (laughs) Five chuckled as well, but both my companions were kind enough to button their lips as we unpacked the Studebaker and got on our bikes. Fifteen minutes later, we were cruising through Pine Barrens, a vast wooded wilderness in southeastern New Jersey. The swath of pine trees and sandy soil reminded me of desolate parts of Cape Cod. It was hard to believe we were just a couple of hours from New York City, and only half that to Philly. I had no idea where we were going, and I don't think Five did either, but Doc Tarragon had it all mapped out in her head. I lied to Tammy, of course. We'd come here to check local UFO sightings and reports of the Baron's mythical monster, the Jersey Devil. Doc was hoping that it'd be similar to the giant insects we often battled rather than the mutant gecko 13 and I recently turned up in Vegas. These geckos are like that mutant ape you turned up in Colorado, she'd said. You mean the Yeti. If you prefer, yes. Uh, whatever mutated them vanishes from their systems when they die. I wish the Nevada Guard hadn't killed them. I need a live specimen we can contain. Ape won't let me experiment on his wife Donna, and no one has ever seen a juvenile ant. This alleged monster could be our best chance. Dad and I don't think it's a coincidence that these creatures are turning up where UFOs are spotted. So let's get out there and bag that monster. To that end, Shannon had brought a special gizmo. It looked like a shotgun, but actually fired a barbed net. Five and I packed normal weapons, our 45s, shotguns, plus a rifle for Deadeye. Let Doc catch the Jersey Devil, if she could. Our sniper and I were there to protect her. As Twilight approached, Doc put up her hand and signaled a stop. Five and I pulled up next to her and admired the indigo surface of the nearby lake. The cool autumn air smelled of pine, marsh grass, and pond water. Doc rooted around in her backpack. The creature was last sighted here, she explained. Folklore says the Jersey Devil eats unbaptized babies, but if it's some kind of mutant animal, I think it's more likely to crave local prey. She took out two large packages, like you might get from a butcher and unwrapped them. This is raw venison, and this is a fillet of chain pickerel. Explains the gamey reek, Five muttered. We'll circumnavigate the lakeshore, find a likely spot, and then use them as bait. Good? Just remember to be careful. I've got the net gun and I want this thing alive. I nodded. Whatever you say, Doc. We unlimbered our gear and followed her into the brush. The sky was clear that night and darkness came on quickly in the barrens. Soon, stars blazed brightly overhead and our flashlights weren't much help picking our way through the reeds. Should have brought a machete. Five grumbled. Doc halted. Shh, I hear something. She pointed into the head tall cattails and turned off her light. We did the same. The starlight shone just enough to paint the reeds surrounding us with an eerie pallor. A faint clicking sound echoed through the still night air. Doc Tarragon took out one of her bait packets, which she'd attached to a heavy nylon clothesline. As the clicking grew louder, she threw the bait deep into the brush. We waited, the silence broken only by the weird rat-tat-tat drumming and the soft clicks of Five and me unholstering our pistols, just in case. Doc started reeling the line in. Trolling for monsters. Five whispered. In other circumstances, I might have laughed, but right then my skin was crawling. Suddenly, the line jerked, yanking the dock off her feet. She sprawled into the marsh with a grunt and a soft splash. Cursing, she climbed to her feet and kept reeling in the line. It came back quickly, empty. Drat. The clicking grew louder. It sounded more like cackling now. Goosebumps prickled my body as a hideous shape rose from the weeds before us. The thing's head looked like a long triangle pointed at the bottom with a rounded, bumpy skull on top. It had neither mouth nor neck, but the beast's malevolent eyes glared at us over the tops of the cattails. The devil. Dead I croaked. As he and I crouched, stupefied, Doc unlimbered her net gun. The creature advanced, its clicking building to a machine gun-like chatter. Doc fired and the net whirled out with an explosive boof. The Jersey Devil uttered a piercing shriek and lurched aside. The net missed it and tangled in the reeds. The monster sprouted enormous wings more than two yards wide. Don't let it get away! Doc cried as she reloaded her gizmo. With a sudden rush and a powerful flap of its wings, the beast soared overhead. All of us fell to the ground, buffeted by its escape. Only a strong, boggy scent lingered. 
Almost before I could think, Five had his rifle out. He fired once. With a wail like a dying woman, the monster splashed down at the edge of the lake, 20 yards ahead. Just winged it, Deadeye reported. Come on, Doc commanded, leading the charge to where her quarry fell. The devil splashed around at the shoreline, trying to gain its footing as Shannon fired her second round. Oof. This time, the net ensnared its mark. Within minutes, the three of us had the thing secured and was dragged to higher ground. What the devil is it? Five asked, peering at the writhing, inhuman figure in the netting. Doc Tarragon sighed. No devil, unfortunately. It's a shoebill stork. I've read about these. They're native to the Nile Basin in Africa. It must have been swept up here in a storm, or maybe gotten loose from a local exotic bird collection. So, it's not paranormal? I asked. She shook her head. Not even a little. Well, it sure as hell looked like a monster rising out of those reeds. What I'd mistaken for a triangular face had merely been the stork's enormous bill tilted downward. Trussed up, it looked more like a dinosaur than a demon. That's probably what the locals thought too. Doc mused. Who knows how long it's been here? There might even be a breeding population. Rats! I really thought we had one this time. Don't take it too hard, Doc. Agent 5 noted with a wry smile. Maybe you bagged a new mascot for the Bureau. This has been an original story of Strange Invaders, part of our ongoing series of Atomic Tales. Brought to you by St. Euphoria Productions. Tonight's episode, Jersey Devil, was written by Stephen D. Sullivan. It was produced, edited, and read by Christopher R. Mim, who also plays Agent One, and featured Lisa Sancello as Dr. Shannon Z. Doc Tarragon, Danielle Gelliter, a.k.a. horror host Penny Dreadful as reporter Tammy Rubens, and Steve Sullivan as Agent 5, Nelson Deadeye Corrigan. We're excited to announce that Atomic Tales is now available online and streaming via The Fantasy Network at thefantasynetwork.com. Be sure to tune in next month for more Atomic Tales. Please support the films of Christopher R. Mim at SaintEuphoria.com and the work of Stephen D. Sullivan via his Patreon at PaySteve.com. Join the conversation at the Monster Conservancy at SaveMonsters.com. All elements of this episode are copyright 2022 by their creators and may not be reproduced or reused without permission. Atomic Tales and Strange Invaders are trademarks of Stephen D. Sullivan, all rights reserved. This is the St. Euphoria Audiocast Network. Okay, thank you so much for listening this month. If you get a chance, check out the now-released The Phantom Lake Kids and the Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended. Contribute to the new movie, Annihilate All Humans. Thank you so much for being a part of this movie-making journey of mine and, and for supporting me and for listening to my stuff. And just thank you for everything, every one of you out there. And I don't mean just people who have thrown money at me or who just like my movies, just the people out there who've been part of my personal development over the years or who have been a part of my life's journey. Because I know there are a couple of you out there who are listening who know me more through knowing me outside of the movies. Thank you for everything you've done for me and everything you did and continue to do if you are, in fact, continuing to do anything. This is getting weird and cryptic, but I don't mean to be. So we'll just go with this. Like I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. I'll talk to you again next month. Bye.